Hey church, how you doing this morning? Y'all having a good time at church today? Come on, let's give God a great big hand. So, so good to be with you. It's part three of follow me. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And we're trying to uncover that. And there's this word used in the Bible a lot, this word called disciple. And what is a disciple? And, and, and we've been leading up to these, like, like this week and next week are going to be a lot about what it means to be a disciple and what it means to be a true follower of Jesus Christ. And because I think we all come in with a, with a mindset of what, what it is, but what did Jesus mean? We're going to look at his words in Matthew 16 today. And in preparing for this, I just couldn't help but remember uh, a lot of how I learned about Jesus uh, early on. You know, early on, I met Jesus at a really, really young age of 15, and uh, he became real to me. He became the forgiver of my past and the leader to my future. And I was just so amped that I met this Jesus, and I was just in love with him. I mean, I remember coming home from school every day and, and putting on uh, worship music. I'd put on an, an album. How many of you remember what an album is? Yeah. Yeah, that's okay. Come on, somebody. Yeah, yeah. You'd put on those big CDs and, you know, you put on there and, and, uh, and, and listen to praise music. And I would just worship because I just loved them. And, and it was a couple years later, I, I knew that I needed to make a step because I, I love Jesus. And I was, I was, you know, learning to kind of be a Christian but I knew I needed a church, and it was a significant moment. I was looking for a church, and I actually visited a lot of different churches, and I, I would go up to different pastors, and I would say, hey, I want to learn about Jesus. I want to know what it means to be a follower, and, and most of them said, go to church, and I'd go to church, but I was still, I wanted something more, and in, in, in a moment, I, I came to, to this church, and I remember um, I came to this church, and Pastor Keith, the founding pastor of our church, actually showed up at my house that week. And he knocked on the door. He said, do you want to go for a ride? I'll never forget. And so we, I got in his car, and we went for a ride. We drove all through the east suburbs of Pittsburgh and all through. And he shared with me this, this vision that God gave him for a church like this right here that was expanding and growing and multiplying. And it was just so, so awesome. And it was a really, really cool thing. And, and I'll never forget. He said, and, he, and I was there one time. And so he said, hey, and next Sunday, can you come early and serve? I mean, he didn't waste any time right there. It was one Sunday in. My next Sunday, I was there early setting up chairs, uh, putting up the, the equipment. I didn't know anybody. I said, I was just so excited. I was like, you mean I get to do this? No, I mean, really, it was like, I can, you'd, you'd let me do that? And it was like, yeah. So I just went and I just served. And then I learned, and there were significant moments in my life. I, was, I, I went and I, I, I uh, was trained as a, as a registered nurse, went to nursing school, but I was still a part of the church. And then I went to, a, I went to a, on a missions trip. And then I, I remembered when the, they asked me, they said, would, would you be involved in prison ministry? And they said, would you go into the prisons on Saturday night and preach the gospel? And I went into the prisons. I, I, you, are you serious? I said, I don't have any experience. And they said, we'll train you. And somebody went with me about three weeks, and they said, this is what you do. And then they said, now you're on your own. I literally, I just started going in every Saturday night. I said, they knew how to keep a young single guy out of trouble. Every Saturday, had to go into the prison, okay? And that, 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 it helped me out. Come on. I went in, I preached the word, and I learned how to teach, and I learned how to, how to minister. And, and there were significant other moments that, that I remember when Pastor Keith pulled me aside one day, and he said, and, and he said hey, you're acting, you're acting really childish. He told me how I'm acting childish. And he said, he said, when you're a child, you do the things of a child. When you're a man, you do the things of a man. And I said, hmm, all right. 
And so I changed my ways. I, he called me up to a higher level of being a man of God. See, there were significant moments in my life that I didn't get it all at once. I, was, I, I, I learned about him, and then I learned a little more, but then I became a part of his church, and I learned something, and then I learned how to give more. I, I didn't get to where I am 40-some year, 40 years later just overnight. It took time, and I want to let you know that I'm still growing and gleaning and growing. How about you? That's what I'm doing. See, that's what it means to follow Jesus and a follower. So we're going to start here, and, 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 and we're looking at Mark chapter 1. We, we launched out of this every single week here, and, and Jesus said to them, and these were a bunch of rough guys. They were fishermen, and he said, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Doesn't Jesus make it look easy? Hey, follow me. Oh, okay. Doesn't he just make everything look easy? Oh, they just automatically, well, I mean, they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus move, and they saw Jesus doing miracles. They, they, they experienced him several times. This wasn't their first meeting. This, this was several meetings into it that they, they met him. And, and he said, follow him, and they left. And really what he was saying is, I'm going to make something out of you. I'm going to construct something out of your life. See, many of us, though, we have a different concept of following. We have, like, when you follow somebody on social media. How many of y'all follow anybody on social media? You follow Instagram, Facebook, you follow some, anybody here? Yeah. You, you know, and so, so we, we look at it as, like, we, we, we think like following Jesus, like when we look at one of Jesus' sayings, we think, do we like it or not? And, and we, we all do this. We're, we're scrolling. How many of y'all scroll? How many of you are afraid to say it in church? Come on. You're just afraid. You're afraid. Uh, come on. Tell the truth. Uh, you know, come on. We're in, we're in church. Uh, yeah, come on. And so we're scrolling. Yeah. But, and, and, and when we see a picture or something we just maybe don't like or just don't care about, what do we do? We just ignore it. Right? But when we like it, we like or we hit hard or, my goodness, every now and then we say, way to go or, you know, happy anniversary, happy birthday, whatever it is, right? Am I right? And so the problem is, is we bring that concept into following Jesus. And we think that Jesus' sayings are much like that. I either like them or there's a men's conference coming. And we don't actively rebel, but what we do is we passively just acknowledge, but move on. And I'm not even faulting that. We have to start somewhere to get to where we want to be. No, really, I'm not even, I'm not even faulting that. That's, that happens. And that's why there's these four stages that we've been talking about a lot. And, and, I, and I want you to follow the four stages here. The first one is like a follower, or excuse me, an, an acknowledger. Like, like, I believe in God. I remember believing in God. I grew up in a Catholic church. I believed in God. But I wasn't a follower. I believed. I was an altar boy. I did the whole deal. And, and then when I became a Christian, I knew some things changed. I started to be, you know, the, the saying is, I'm going to date myself here. How many of y'all are happy about that? Come on. Like the saying was, you don't, you don't toke, you know, smoke, drink, or chew, or hang around with those who do. Some of you know. Yeah, that was, that was the thing. I don't do any of those bad things. You know, we started to learn how to do some things of a Christian. And I started resembling a Christian. But then something significant happened when I became a follower and I became a part of a church. And they asked me to be inconvenienced and learn and pursue him. And then a disciple is a whole new level. And there's people in the room right now. You're at acknowledger level, and that's okay. You came to the right place. Because we want the, the church to be a place where we can, we can kind of acknowledge, but we can say, oh, I'm trying to figure out who Jesus is. How many of you are... 
40 years later, I'm still trying to figure it out. Is anybody with me? Yeah, we're, we're trying to figure him out, but we're learning and we're going through a process here. We're learning what that means. And, and then as disciple, and I'm going to get into a different definition here in just a minute, like, like complete obedience. And that's what Jesus told us to make. And, and I, oh my goodness, I don't want to preach next week's message. I'm going to stick on this week. And so there's this thing called the call of the rabbi. And I want to, I want to take you back and, and paint a picture of what it meant when a rabbi would say, follow me. Because we do not have this concept. In our concept... We think it's like Jesus wants us to follow him on Instagram. When we like his sayings, we click like. And every now and then we comment, right? Or we say, eh, that was good, interesting, all right. But when, in the, in the day and age of the Bible, this is what it really meant to have the call of the rabbi. The rabbi was somebody significantly trained, okay, and, and this is, this is the, the concepts of this come from the Mishnah Avot 1.4. I know, I'm not quoting things that aren't in the Bible. Okay, it was, it was writings in 200 B.C. to 200 A.D., and it, it forms a lot of the Jewish culture even today, Jewish belief system. Because you remember, the, the primary, I'm going to use the word religion, was Jewish. It was Judaism here. And so I'm trying to get you to understand like what the Judaism part meant. See, every child that was a good Jew, they would grow up in basically elementary school. You would learn some scriptures, right? You would memorize them. You would memorize the Torah. You would memorize all these scriptures, memorize the prayers. But when you got to a certain point, somewhere around 12, 13, okay, the, the, most people, most kids didn't go on to like junior and senior high school. Most kids. You got a trade, fisherman, carpenter. You pick it, you know, all kinds of different trades. You got a trade. And so what would happen was, but the really smart kids, which trust me, I was not a part of that group growing up. The really smart ones who really had, they really learned, and they were really learned ones, and they really had an app to grow, and they had an app to, they, they were the ones that they would ask a rabbi, can I follow you? Or if they were really top of the class, like on a roll, type Jew, Jews, and I'm, and I'm saying that very respectfully here, they would, the rabbi would come to them and say, follow me. In that context, that was huge. That was like, everything's about to change. That means you're going to leave what you're doing, and you're going to literally follow the rabbi to learn his teachings, but also to become like the rabbi. So when Jesus said, follow me, in their eastern Jewish mindset, this was huge. This was a big deal. As a matter of fact, there's a prayer called the dust of the rabbi that may the dust of the rabbi be upon you. That means that you're following so close behind your rabbi, Jesus, that the dust from, the, from him walking covers you. May you be so close to him that his dust literally covers you. Listen, I'm trying to give you a picture in the Bible. So when we say, follow me, this would have been huge. To be honest, the people that Jesus chose, it would have been like, you want me? I mean, these were fishermen. These were tax collectors. These were, these were not, they didn't make the cut earlier. They were ordinary, everyday people like you and me. 
that wouldn't have made the cut. As a matter of fact, it's really interesting. Those who typically made the cut and typically became teachers and trained ones, they typically became the Pharisees and Sadducees that you see in the Bible. That was the natural progression of them. That's what you see. That's what they did, the, the, the learned ones, the, 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 the really super smart ones. And I, I don't know, Jesus is still, see, I'm saying this because a lot of times we rule ourselves out. We read the stories of Jesus and we rule ourselves out like, oh no, no, that's for, that's for, the, that's for somebody else. And I want to let you know, no matter where you are in your stage with Jesus right now, no matter where you are, you're trying to figure it out, Jesus welcomes. He says, come on. Not, and if you're going from being coming an acknowledger to a, a, a Christian, you're learning Christian, Jesus says, welcome, come on. Isn't that cool? Jesus isn't demanding. He's asking us to go on a journey. But for the sake of what I want to cover today is... Well, for the sake of today, I want to really cover, like, what does it mean to be a disciple? What does this really mean? What did Jesus really, like, talk about when it came to disciple here? Because when Jesus, like, there's a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, like, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. You don't see that on too many marquees of churches. Like, you don't, you don't see that as many, like, come to our church. It's a good place to die. Now, you don't see that. Like, and what it means, dying to self. I'm going to uncover this for you. So here we have, here we have some things in the Bible. Um, you know, how many times was disciple used? 270, Christian 3. Believe in me five times, follow me 20 times. But there's this thing also in the Bible called, um, it, it, it's called a mentor. And in, in, in the spirit of the mentor has creeped into Jesus' church. Mentor and discipleship are two separate things. I'm not saying mentorship's bad. We do marriage mentoring. We help marriages. We mentor marriage. We mentor people in finances. We mentor people there. But in discipleship, biblically, it leaves out two important things that discipleship has in it. Holiness and obedience. Those are the two things. If you want to separate being a mentor, which is a coach, to give advice... Do we need counsel? Yes. Right? Do we need cared for? Yes. Do we need, do we need coached at different times in our lives? Yes. But if we stop there, we miss the big picture of what Jesus wants to do with us. He wants to make something out of us. And so we look at a disciple as a learned one. It, 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 they, they follow the teacher and the teaching. They, they turn thoughts into actions. And, and they have this thing called multiplication on them because you see in the Bible, multiplication happened b- because of Jesus' followers and they apprenticed into something. That means we're going somewhere with the relationship we have. We're going somewhere with this. That's the difference. Mentor, you can get advice, you can get counsel, and you, maybe you have some mentors in your life. That, they are helping you in business or as, a, as, an, as, as an owner. Or they're mentoring. That, that's cool. I'm not saying that's, that's bad, but discipleship's a whole new level. Holiness and obedience is the separators. It only, mentorship will only take you so far. Discipleship takes you the rest of the way. That's what, we're, that's what we're doing here. So, I, I say all that to say, here's the, I'm going to give you three prereqs to becoming a disciple, and I'm going to, I'm going to uncover these for you in, in Matthew 16. Okay, setting your mind on the things above. Everybody say, setting your mind on the things above. Then carrying your cross. Denying yourself. 
Okay, these are just three. I'm not going to say they're the only three, but I'm going to show you those in these texts here. So in Matthew 16, here's our text. Peter, the apostle Peter, the fisherman, gets done earlier in the chapter. He just gets done saying, you are Jesus, the Messiah. He gets a revelation of the big picture of Jesus. Jesus, you're, you're Jesus. You're the Messiah. You're the one. And so he, he, he just gets done saying it. Jesus says, you are, you are Petra. You're the rock. Wouldn't it be cool to have Jesus call you the rock? Well, maybe if you're a guy, that's cool. Come on. Oh, the guy's here. Come on. Is that cool? Come on. You're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. You're the revelation. That's what, that's what we're saying. You're the rock. Yeah, you're the rock on this revelation, and you got this, and this is what we're going to do here. And so, but, and so we, this is like the fastest turnaround that we see in the Bible. Peter gets it right. He's following Jesus. And then in verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, and on the third day, be raised. May I suggest to you, this is a significant turning point with Jesus. At this point, they're following, they're getting ministered to, they're, they're getting loved, they're getting all these things, but something changed. Wait a minute. He changed the message. Now he's going to die and be killed and be raised on the third day. See, something changed here. He was, he was going up a level. He was going up a significant level. They, like the intensity just came up. They like, they like the thought Jesus is going to be, he's going to uh, overturn political systems. Jesus is going to overturn like the, their ways that they did things in, 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 in religion. Yeah. But Jesus is saying, yeah, no, I'm going to die, suffer. Who's in? No, really, that's, that's really, that's the turning point here. Something began to shift. Something changed here. This is like you're about to go to the next level. And so let me give you a picture of next level. I never had this happen to me, but I, I, you, you hear stories about high school quarterbacks who are really good in high school. And then they go to college, and they say the speed of the game just changed immensely. The speed just changed. And then college, good, really good quarterbacks in college go to the pros, and they say it's a whole different level. Because the intensity goes up, the speed of the game goes up, the intensity goes up, the training goes up. Are you tracking me? Like, and, and so like, this is the kind of thing Jesus is doing here. He's saying, it's about to go up. It's about to go up. It's, it, it's about to heat up here. That's what he's doing here. And, 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 and so he goes on verse 22, and Peter took him aside, took Jesus, that is, aside, and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Can you imagine Peter saying, oh, Jesus, Jesus, come here. Come here, Jesus. He put, he, that's what it says. He pulled him aside from everybody else. Because, you know, Peter didn't want to embarrass Jesus. I, this is the way I picture it. Peter's like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You, you're, you're getting this wrong. Uh, I don't know, you know, hmm. Uh, far be it from you, Lord. You're, you're, you're really not going to die a bad death. Like, you're not going to suffer. You're not going to suffer. This is really what's happening here. In, in the red letters, Jesus, look what he says. But he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. 
How many of things didn't go quite like Peter thought? Are you tracking that? Like, it, it has the connotation that as Peter began to speak, Jesus interrupts him. Can you believe Jesus would interrupt somebody? I don't know about you, but I have conversations with God all the time. I feel like he's interrupting me. Anybody with me? I'm having this conversation and telling Jesus. Like, could it be that Peter thought he knew what was better than Jesus? I'm just saying, could it be? Could it be that Peter thought he had a better plan than Jesus? Could it? I'm just saying, could it be? I'm just asking the question in context here. Could it be that, 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 that Peter thought all of these things, he was pretty confident in himself, that he knew better than God? But could it be that Peter proved to us that you can get it all right in one moment, but have a quick slide the next? Because he set his mind on the things of, God, on the things of man, not on the things of God. So in context to being a follower here, that's what we see. There's, we see this unfold, and Jesus cuts him off, and Peter went from, you are the rock, to now, you are a tripping hazard. That's what, that's what the scandal on. It means, you're the rock, but now, you, you're no longer the rock, now you're a tripping hazard to other people. You're a, you're, you're, you're a stumbling block to others. That's really what happened with Peter in this context here. How quick it changed. Hindrance is a stumbling block. It's literally, it's an, it's an offense. It's a scandal on. That's where we get the word scandal on. It's a trigger. It's a trap. And so could it be, could it be that, that when Jesus said, get behind me, I mean, he did refer to him as Satan, but Get behind me. He was saying, don't get in front of me. Get behind me. The dust of the rabbi. Was he using rabbi language? Was he using the original language of follow me? Are you tracking throughout? And he was about to go to another level here. Could that be? I'm just asking the question that I think demands a response here. Peter, don't settle here. Where you set your mind, you'll settle. Where you set your mind, you'll settle. You'll settle where you set your mind. I don't know about you. Do you ever, I, I set my mind on something, and it settles there. And that's what I believe Jesus is speaking to here. In hindrance, when we try to avoid suffering, submission, and sacrificing, and denying self, be in charge. Matthew, that was perfect. That somebody just got a full meal. <laughs> Matthew 16, 24. So here's the next point here. Prereqs. He's saying, okay, here we, here we go. Red letters. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is Jesus. He moves into. He says, okay. So if anybody is, actually, if you look at the terminology, it's willing. If anybody's willing, if you want to, if you would, come. How many of y'all, like, Sometimes we mistake willing with doing it. Like Natalie just asked me a question the other day. And she said she, she wanted help doing some things around the house. And I told her I was willing. I was willing. I wanted to do whatever she asked. Whatever you want, baby. I'm in. But I was like, 
but can I play tennis first? Can I do whatever else I want to do that day first? How many of y'all know that Natalie didn't want me just to be willing, she wanted me to help her? See, sometimes we mistake being willing for actually doing it. Now, as you're growing, being willing is a good first step, right? I'm willing. I'm, I'm like, okay, I'm willing to give it a try. Isn't that a good first step? But that shouldn't be the final step. So basically, Jesus is saying, if you would come after me, if you're going to do it, and if you want to, this is what he's saying here, if you want to do this here, okay, this is what it's going to take. It's going to take some significant things here. But the problem is, is I think in our culture, we've become professional cost counters rather than, rather than price payers. We, we, we're constantly counting the cost. We're constantly counting the cost. What about this? What about that? What about this? How's this going to cost? How's this going to do? Do I have time? And I'm not saying that's wrong, but... I, I, I don't remember Jesus asking us to be professional accountants for him. He wants people saying, listen, if you want to do this, this is the next step. Deny yourself and follow me here. Denying ourselves is one of the, the most significant characteristics of a disciple. Denying self. Yeah, that's what it is here. And it's picking up your cross and denying yourself is one of the, the most significant things about being a disciple that we can see over and over and over in the, in the Gospels, plural. It's pretty cool. So denying ourselves requires us to surrender ourselves to God and determine to obey His will. Listen to the difference. Self-denial is putting what you want aside for our good and our purpose, and we give up activities and things. I'm not saying... Like, we, we need both of those. Am I right? I need to say no. I need to learn how to say no to things in my life. Anybody here else? Anybody with me? Yeah. So I need to learn self-denial, but what God, God wants me to, to, to deny self, which means I'm in charge of me. Not other things, me. That means denying self is putting me aside, putting my leadership aside, putting me aside and saying, I'm going to deny myself of that. Because we get wrapped up into, into self-denial, which makes us feel good, which makes us look good. It's about my purposes versus God's purposes. Are you tracking that? See, there's a difference between these th two things here. And yes, I need to give up activities and things that aren't good. And yes, I need to do those things. But yeah, I'm denying myself here. And, and denying self is from me being in charge to submission to God's way and word. Jesus being the leader of my life. See, I'm going to submit myself to God's way, his word, and I'm just going to let him worry about the results, and I'm just going to do what he wants in submission and sacrifice and self-denial, which puts him in charge. I'm going to serve. And this is the process of learning to be from a, that, that, that last little bit, that follower to a disciple. How many of y'all, are you inspired to be a disciple? Or are you like, hmm, I'm not sure. Anybody here inspired to be, take another step in your walk with God today? Come on, just take another step. I want to go up a level here. Because Jesus invites us up. He's still in that business of inviting us up here. That's what it is. And, 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 and again, the purpose of self-denial 
is holiness and obedience similar to discipleship? That's denying self. And it's so beautiful when I get to the end of me. And the next one here is take up your cross. Take up your cross. The cross is the universal sign of Christianity in the world. There's, 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 there's probably other signs there's, that, that, I, that I haven't thought of. Because I didn't study this out extensively, but, but this. There's two universal signs that I know work in any culture. In all the cultures I've traveled, through Africa, through Central America, through other places. I know this. When somebody has a gun and they say, stick them up, you raise your hands. Am I right? You know this is, I'm, a, I'm surrendering. This is a sign of surrender. That's a universal sign. And that's a universal sign. But when Jesus said, pick up your cross, he wasn't, say, he wasn't saying you're going to have a bad day, a lousy boss, or a rotten pizza. This was more than a metaphor. They understood it in their culture. That means they were going to pick up something that had a one-way ticket to death. There wasn't, there wasn't a to and fro from the cross. It was a one-way ticket. It was, we're going to carry this to my death, not to my inconvenience. And I don't even, I personally, this is just my opinion, I don't know if the disciples fully realized what Jesus was even saying in that moment. Carry the cross. But no, carry your cross. To the death. That's the prerequisite so we can follow him. The cross. Jesus died. The most horrible death ever imaginable. Beat beyond recognition. It said you couldn't even recognize him. For you and for me. And he said, man, you want to follow me. This is what it's going to be like. We see the cross as our atonement, mercy, grace, love. Jesus, you know, a lot of necklaces and tattoos and stickers on cars and all this. At this point in Matthew 16, when Jesus is talking, it's something so much more significant. It's something so serious. He's saying, man, you want to go up a level, this is what it's going to take. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he said that I die daily. Daily. I got to do this every day. I got I to gotta, I gotta set my mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. I learned to deny myself, not be in charge. And then I pick up 
my cross and I begin to follow him. Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Jesus? If it means losing all your closest friends. You lose your job. Alienation from your family. I, read, I, I would just watch so many stories this week about people who, in the Middle East, that, that have accepted Jesus, and they are completely alienated from their families forever. Forever. That's serious. How about on a day-by-day basis with people I work for? How about just in my relationships in my home? I just want to live for a greater purpose. In my heart, my attitude, my actions, they demonstrate sacrifice, submission, serving, denying self. How about I just learn to say no to wasteful screen time? Have you ever got caught in a vortex of screen time? Wow, that was not a good use of the last 30 minutes. I set my mind on everything that it shouldn't be set on. So prerequisites are setting my mind, denying myself, carrying my cross. And in Matthew 16, 25, 26. For whoever, Jesus' words, would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? We live in a world that is full of self-gratification. Do what's best for self. Do, do you live in the same world I live? I, am I right? Do what's best for you. Promote yourself. Protect yourself. And there's this term, and I hope I'm using it correctly, and I'm not trying to be offensive, but I hear it a lot, and I see it a lot. I even see shirts with it on and and memes and all these other things. It says, self-love is the greatest love. Could it be that Jesus' love is the greatest love? That what he did on the cross. Could it be that when I lose myself, no matter if it's with my marriage or my family or my finances or my decisions for promotion and all those things, when I lose myself there, I find something so much greater. I find him, I find joy. I was trying to explain this to somebody this week, and, and I was like, I was running out of words. Have you ever run out of words to try to explain something to somebody? Have it ever happened to you? And I said, it is just so much fun and so joyful to get to the end of you, and it's just Jesus. Where you just love him, and it's so cool. Has anybody ever, is that, I mean, and, and they were like looking at me like, really? I'm like, yeah. It's like where you find him and you find life and life abundantly. 
and I lose my life, which means I'm away with me, and I destroy me. And he invites us into a life full of trials and tribulations and ups and downs and all arounds and everything in between. But something beautiful happens when I lift my hands up and I lay my whole life down. I surrender and I lay my life down. Something beautiful happens. I can't explain it to you. I, I, it's not like I, I didn't come up with it. Jesus did. And then this whole concept of follow me that our whole church is going through right now and this whole deal of like, follow me and, and we're going up a level and I don't know where you are today. And if you could put those four stages up again, maybe you're just coming you're just like, I'm just trying to figure it out. There's room for you to figure it out. Thank God there was room for me to figure it out, right? And, and, and maybe you're like, maybe I, maybe I want to go to that Christian stage. Maybe I want to learn about him. I want to learn what those characteristics are. Or maybe I want to become a follower. And I want to learn and pursue a relationship with Jesus. And um, actively pursue a relationship with God. Learning to be selfless, surrender, submit, and serve. And then maybe there's some people here today. You're saying, you know what? I want to be a disciple. I still believe that there are disciples in in the earth today because Jesus, and that's next week's message in Matthew 28, go and make disciples. I don't believe he ever rescinded that. I don't believe he ever pulled it back. I don't know where you are right now, but there's room for you to go up a level. How many of y'all, how many thank God he's inviting us up a level? How many thank God he's still in that business? Now, I don't know where you are. I'm not judging where you are. You gotta decide where you are. But if you know God's inviting you to a, to a deeper level with him of trust, wherever your level is. I want to invite you right now just to stand up to your feet right where you are. All you're doing is saying, I know God's inviting me. That's all you're saying. I know Jesus is inviting me. Just stand up right where you are. That's all you're going to do right there. Just stand up. Here I am. Not just Jesus, I know you're inviting me to more trust. That's what, this is why we say the closer you get to the cross the less people you find. Palm Sunday, everybody, Hosanna, Hosanna. The cross, there's only a few people. But there's always room for everybody in that process. So if you're here today and you've never made a public confession of Jesus Christ, that he became your forgiver of your past and leader to your future, that's where it all begins. And that can only happen when you say, Jesus, I'm sorry I have sinned and I have fallen short. And I want to learn what it means to have a relationship with you. Be the one in charge of my life. And if that's you today and you're here and you're saying, I need that. I want to begin that. Just right now in this moment, just slip up your hand or just say, Pastor, that's me right there. Anybody here today, just, I just want, I can't go on without that. Anybody here today, thank you. Anybody else here today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God.
Thank you, God. When you raise your hand, somebody's just going to come beside you, and they're going to offer to pray for you, and they're going to, uh, they're just, they just want to pray for you to seal that deal. Now, for the rest of us standing, I don't know where your level is. I don't know where your level is. But we're going to sing a song about Jesus being in charge of my life. The reason we're singing this song right now is to seal the deal. Seal the deal in your heart. I'm going to lift my hands up and surrender. I'm going to lay my whole life down. Even if you're like, you're not even sure you're there yet. Just out of faith, I'm going to lift my hands up. I'm going to lay my whole life down. So it's going to lay it down. I'm not going to be in it for me, for my thing. I just want to be in it for Jesus. Lord God, I pray for every person right now that's here today, God, as we lift our hands up and we lay our lives down and we say, God, that you are the one in charge. You are the Lord. You're the Savior. You're the God. You are so, so awesome, Lord. So let's just create this moment right now as the worship team leads us. Let's lift our hands up. And let's lay our whole lives down. And let's let this song ring in our hearts and ring in this place today together in Jesus' name. Let's worship. Come on, Jesus.